For God. For country. For truth. For justice. For the Republic. You're listening to the Powder Monkey Podcast on PirateInfoWars.com. Okay, here we go. Um, three, two, one. Welcome to episode 22 of the Powder Monkey Podcast. Uh, today, we're going to call this podcast More Than Words. And uh, why are we going to do that? Well, my guest today is Patrick Moore. He is a, uh, a patriot. He's an activist. He's a guru. And he is a vocal supporter of the uh, downtrodden by the uh, tyranny machine that, uh, that we've seen rolling across uh, all aspects of our life. So uh, uh, just in brief, Patrick is uh, a lifelong health freedom activist. Uh, he has... Uh, uh, contributed to the 1994 uh, federal health freedom bill uh, that assured fair and reasonable access to supplements and medicines. Uh, he also contributed on California's 1996 Compassionate Use Act, assuring radical access to cannabis as medicine. Um, he has uh, uh, also consulted with uh, Representative uh, Dennis Kucinich on two presidential campaigns. Uh, very impressive. Uh, and also, uh, you know, he's he's consulted with uh, people like uh, Dr. Ron Paul. He's, uh, you know, uh, I guess uh, been before Congress. So uh, Patrick comes with a lot of credentials. Uh, Patrick, thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate it. It's an honor and a pleasure. It's great to be here today. Awesome. awesome. Uh, you know, one of the first things, really, that uh, there's so many there's there's so many facets that uh, that I can cover with you as a guest, and I, I kind of want to touch upon all of them. Um, but uh, one of the one of the main ones, I guess, was uh, you know, obviously, we're going through uh, something unlike we've ever gone through before uh, in the world. Uh, we're we're facing a worldwide uh, essential lockdown uh, that. The, the medical tyranny, the, the, the health freedom seems to be slipping away. And uh, I, I thought maybe uh, we'd start there. I know that you had commented before that, um, you know, you have been an opponent of uh, Dr. Fauci's uh, uh, practices and his, uh, you know, his, his policy for quite some time. And maybe I thought we'd start there and maybe let you lay the groundwork from, from that point. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I was lucky in the early 90s to stumble across a couple brilliant researchers, medical doctors, people in the health freedom movement at that time. And I don't think a lot of people realize how close we came to losing vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and other. That's what in 1992 and three, they were working on scheduling the same way to schedule cannabis. They were going to schedule vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and other. And that now, would have been if, the end. If, if, if I can say, I remember uh, I, I remember some, some news articles from that time and weren't they kicking in, uh, people's doors and, and trying to prosecute for people for having, uh, vitamins in other containers than what were in vitamin, you know, and other than vitamin containers and, and things like that, or am I maybe complaining? Sure. No, there was a huge ramped up campaign leading to that, trying to intimidate and, and take people in the, in the industry out. So there'd be less uh, uh, resistance to their, their tyranny, to their legislation, which they were ramping up for. So a group of people started the health freedom movement. 
uh, centered around a piece of legislation. And we got pretty good. We got pretty close. My understanding is to this day, it was still the largest uprising of citizens in American history. More people were involved in the 1994 health freedom bill than the anti-war movement or the civil rights movement or all these other things that are seen as big uprisings of the American people, to, you know, having their voices heard from several standards, the health freedom movement in 94 was bigger. So I've always been very excited to have been part of that. And as I've watched the 30 years since of the uh, vitamins and minerals and the whole foods and uh, even Alex Jones uh, keeping InfoWars afloat uh, with the uh, vitamins and minerals, it's one of the things I'm most proud of because we would have started to see those slip away the way we have cannabis and other things in the system. And it still hasn't been perfect. We've still lost the number B17. It just blows my mind still that it's illegal to sell B-17, basically apricot kernels in America. So it didn't end in 94, but we got a stopgap that protected the vast majority of what we know as alternative health today. Then two years later, I rolled into the uh, Prop 215, the medical marijuana bill here in California, with a lot of momentum. We just passed the federal bill, so I became very active in the health freedom, in the, uh, the medical marijuana bill with Dennis Perone and Jack Hare and that group here in California. And then we passed that in 1996. And I started to think we're going to pass something every two years and save the world real quick. Then I realized how hard it really was. Then I realized what flukes those two bills were and how much we had uh, uh, working against us in the system. So it's been a steady work since then to maintain the rights that we had gained and then always to gain more, always to get us back to where our founding fathers saw us. There's a funny story about the founding fathers. As soon as they signed the Declaration of Independence. As soon as it was all done, a small group of them headed up by Dr. Burke, um, who was a signer of the Constitution, uh, realized they made a big mistake, that they had set the country off with a giant hole in the ship, and the 11th Amendment to the Constitution was supposed to be a health freedom bill, much like what we did in 94, but more comprehensive, and they couldn't get it passed. In the 1780s, in the 1790s, in the 1810, there was already such a medical establishment set up that they could stop our founding fathers from assuring us constitutional protections to health freedom and to be able to make our own decisions in health. So from the beginning of the country, before and after, there's been a, a, a bureaucracy, there's been a movement, there's been a group of people using medicine as a way of controlling the populations. And they've always been very powerful. They've often been linked with the Catholic Church. They've often been linked with the kings and queens of different eras. But there's always been a medical establishment that uh, the AMA has its roots in that has uh, dominated our decisions and our ability to make free choices in, in the world and, and, and now in America. I would liken that maybe to the uh, to the snakes maybe uh, twisting around the uh, the staff there. <laughs> Absolutely. It goes way back. There was a time in about 980 um, when the Pope got very ill and he was seeing herbalists and people came in and treated them. And he was probably going through a healing crisis. It happens often when people are sick and then they get better. That process of getting better actually makes you feel worse than it was to be sick. They call it the Hexheimer syndrome, but more commonly it's known as a healing crisis because you think you got a problem. Then in the process of getting better from it, you feel much worse. The boils come out, the sweats, the, all the stuff that comes along with the cleansing process actually uh, feels worse. So we suspect the Pope was going through that, kicked the herbalist out of his, out of his uh, estate, um, declared them all witches, said the herbalist who came in here mixing up herbs in her pot, we're going to go after them for the next thousand years. But he brought in a, well, we call them today, in the early, late 1800s, they picked up the name quacks. 
But in a thousand years ago, they were just peddlers of mercury and they coated the Pope's body in mercury. He survived that, but credited that with what cured him. So from a thousand on, the Catholic Church defended and protected mercury peddlers as the highest level of healer and deemed herbalists in Europe to be agents of the devil. Wow. So, so yeah, again, and I don't know if you know how George Washington died. Do you know how George Washington died? Uh, with wooden teeth in his mouth? With wooden teeth in his mouth and coated from head to toe in a mercury poultice. Wow. I oh, yeah, I caught the flu while riding his horse in the rain, came home, and the highest doctor of the land coated his body in mercury, which had happened to hundreds of thousands of people between 1,000 and, and, and the 1800s, 1900s, and up to this day, we're using mercury, one of the most toxic poisons known to humanity, as, as a, the primary healing agent. And that's what the Rockefellers were involved in in the late 1800s. They were passing around mercury dropped into petroleum. So they had a bottle of crude petroleum and they put mercury in it. That was actually the first product put out by the AMA. So when the AMA in 1906 took over American medicine, they replaced 10,000 medical cures with a bottle of petroleum that had mercury in it. And to this day, everything AMA serves is petroleum-based with mercury in it. So they haven't even changed the recipe in 200 years and also uh, really actually a thousand years. They're still relying on the same. And it was in the late 1800s that they were passing off mercury as quicksilver. They came up with the term quicksilver because everyone knew silver was a very effective medicine and everyone was trying to get a pure and pure grade of silver and had for thousands of years. The pure grade of silver you had, the better it worked as medicine. So the, the, the coins, the goblets, the sucking on a silver spoon, if you're lucky, you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth. All that went back to using silver as a medicine. So these, uh, these mercury peddlers started calling their mercury quicksilver. And they'd be like, look, it moves around the, the, the dish. It's even better than the silver you have in your coin. But by the late 1800s, most people realized quicksilver was actually mercury. You know, the farmers weren't dumb, people around America. And they started lynching these guys. They started hanging them from the tree coming into town so no one else would try to peddle mercury. So these guys were having a hard time and they started switching the name around. I didn't say quicksilver, I said quacksilver. Quacksilver, I'm not, no, 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 not like them, I'm a quack. And that's where the name quack stuck. So these mercury peddlers running around with Rockefeller in the late 1800s were called quacks. In 1906, when they set up the AMA, they said, we're going to call everyone else a quack. We're going to call ourselves PhDs, medical doctors, MDs. And it worked. The most obscene, bizarre switcheroo in American in the, in the history. And it worked. To this day, those who don't peddle mercury are called quacks. And those who inject mercury in babies and put mercury in all their drugs are called MDs and have the, the, the status. So it's been an uphill battle. I can't even say technically we're winning, even though we have a lot of freedom left and we're still, you know, out on the field. Being on the field is winning in many, many ways. So we're still winning. Okay. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of, uh, lot of gra uh, ground to gain. Uh, uh, another few years with Fauci and we may lose most of what we gain. This is a big thing that happened in the 80s when Fauci was pushing the whole AIDS paradigm. And that was probably the largest fraud committed against, you know, humanity up until now. So literally, we have Fauci tied to two of the largest socially impacting medical phenomenon of modern times. 
And they can say certain things are bigger and certain things kill more people. But the effect AIDS had on humanity, on our psyche, on our traditions, on our way we lived, on the way we treated each other, on the way, it is beginning, uh, what we have now is beginning to kind of catch up with that as far as impacting our lives, impacting the way we're living. So yeah, I see Fauci as being one of the most dangerous people in modern history, and we were calling for his arrest 25 years ago. We thought we had him kind of zeroed in on a number of crimes he committed out in the open during the AIDS days. But there wasn't an internet. It's very hard to get information out. It was very hard to pursue and raise a, 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 a campaign that way. So, so he slipped under the radar, maintained his position. And I believe the entire time has been building on the foundation laid by AIDS to see if they do it again, what would it look like next time? What could they get away with next time? And so I consider this to be the same agenda just pushed further down the road and using a COVID instead of the AIDS virus or the AIDS phenomenon. Um, yeah, he's a very bad man. We need to be very careful about this man. And I hear word that Trump has finally identified him as a, 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 a less than honest player and right. that he may be on his way out. And uh, I've been hoping through this whole window, the whole last six months, that having him in the center and on the spotlight was our opportunity to expose him. And whether that was known from the highest end or not, that's the way I've been pursuing this, is we finally have a chance. And if we can't tie him back to all the AIDS crimes, we can at least tie him to the crimes he's committed in the last six months and hold him responsible for that. Right. He, um, you know, he, I, I guess here in West Virginia, um, you know, we, it's, it's been a, a very complex, um, you know, I, I guess scenario, uh, you know, now we've got color-coded charts, and if one county goes from from uh, cobalt to magenta within so long, then you know you have to stand on one leg and and you know breathe through your nose and exhale through your mouth and yada yada yada. I mean, it's it's just the the insanity keeps ramping up. Um, and I had uh, a, a couple episodes ago, I, I had uh, Dr. Chanda Atkins. Uh, she is a proponent for. Uh, health freedom here in West Virginia. And she knows what she's talking about. The, the governor actually um, appointed her, um, you know, as, as a, an intermediary, um, you know, to the, the House of Delegates for, for a time. So at some point he trusted her, her input. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it just, it sort of shocked me. When, once the whole COVID thing started rolling out, I reached out to uh, the governor's media relations team. I asked them, you know, about contact tracing. I asked them about, you know, what what the um, the the policy is going to be for mandated vaccines, and you could tell that that the representative wasn't prepped for the answer. You could tell that that conversation hadn't been had yet, and mm -hmm. that concerned me because, um, you know, now. now it's just gotten to the point where, you know, people are having, not here in West Virginia, thank God, but people have to wear masks in, in Zoom meetings and, and everything like that. And, it, you know, it's just gone so far past, um, you know, being for an actual good, you know, you know, good purpose of, of trying to limit the spread. It's gone from that to uh, limiting, you know, freedom. Uh, it's, it's clear tyranny. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, just, you know, you, you, to you, I guess, what does health freedom entail? What does it mean? 
Yeah, no, again, on, on your mo- note, note you're just making, uh, it's like Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan until the first punch is thrown. Every politician's, every politician's got an agenda until that phone rings. And the person right. who's been sending them the money, the person two steps above them, the person in the, uh, the, the globalist tells them what their agenda is, right? So everyone's on their own. Everyone's got their own ideas until they're called into line and sort of told there's a larger agenda going on. Just this is that moment we're waiting for. Just do what we say. So we're seeing a lot of politicians move forward in areas that they have no idea. They have no understanding of what it is they're, they're involved in. And that's really our greatest fear. Again, the, 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 the metaphor of the government supplies us with the post office. The government's given us the roads that have the holes in them that they can't fix. The government's, you won't want to give them too much more power. You don't want to put what happens with health care becomes the DMV. Oh, my I'm gosh, from the right? And I'm here to help. <laughs> right, exactly. It's the scariest words in the world. So yeah, so of course you don't want to put them in charge of your health care. There's nothing more sensitive, there's nothing more personal, there's nothing more technically important than how you treat your health, especially during a crisis. So as the, uh, again, a number of the founding fathers created this coalition, the created the 11th Amendment, it enables us to make our own decisions. It's simple. I mean, just as adults, we should be able to say no. I will take my chances with this. No, I will choose my own medicine. No, I'll decide what to eat and what not to eat. That's, if we don't have those freedoms, the rest don't really matter. If I can't decide what's going to be injected into my bloodstream, it doesn't matter if I have a gun. It doesn't matter if I have access to uh, the internet. It doesn't matter if I have free speech. If they can get into my bloodstream, they can do anything. And that's, that's, that was the panic that broke out into the 1780s and 1790s amongst these signers of the Declaration of Independence. They were in a panic because they realized we've made a big mistake and it has never been rectified and we're still dealing. Fauci is the example of what we missed out on in the 1790s as far as truly defending ourselves with a perfect constitution. We've never had that. And uh, perhaps before this is all over, we will add a health freedom amendment to our constitution. I think ultimately that'll be the goal. Immediately stop Fauci. Immediately open our economy up. Immediately make these vaccines voluntary, perhaps not even available. And again, it's, 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 I've never been a big fan of vaccines. There have always been many, many problems related to the vaccine issue, but we've never seen an RNA vaccine either. So this is a brand new experimental vaccine that doesn't have two or five or 10 years of testing. It's been discussed and theorized for a long time, but never introduced to the human body. And we're about to try to do this to three, four, five, six billion people worldwide. Terrifying. Can, can you speak to um, uh, maybe some reports that, um, you know, I, of course, we're, we're skipping animal testing, but can you speak to maybe that... Um, that this RNA vaccine or, or some, some uh, version of it uh, had, had been tested on ferrets and that um, I guess there was a point uh, that basically, I guess it, it didn't, it didn't bode well for the ferret, I, I guess is what I'm getting at. Absolutely. No, the AIDS is a good example. We actually have a model to look back on. What would Fauci do if there's a pandemic that breaks out worldwide? 
Well, he tried to test the AIDS vaccine, and everyone totally forgets about that. He developed an AIDS vaccine, gave it to the military down in San Diego, and it caused such chaos, such suffering, such immediate death and damage that it was taken off the table, luckily, early on. And so the secondary plan, which is almost as good, is the medicine. So they took an obscure failed chemotherapy drug called AZT and also never tested on human beings because it had killed every living thing they ever gave it to in animal testing and demanded as a group called ACT UP in San Francisco, a gay activist group that came out of nowhere with a lot of money and started demanding that this obscure chemotherapy drug be given to the early AIDS patients. So they did one human study on it. They couldn't put it out without a human study. So they did a human study on it. But 80% of the people that they started the study with didn't show up at the end. So they took the 20% that were left and rounded them up as if that was the entire group. Then used that for their statistics. And at that point, it was almost kind of safe. Because the 80% who had been damaged or were dead or whatever weren't there. You couldn't convince a fifth grader that this was legitimate. You couldn't say, well, here's our group. Here's the group at the end. Let's just pretend that's the whole group and just continue on from here. That just doesn't make sense. You couldn't convince a child, but they convinced the entire world that AZT was legitimate based on that kind of science. So that's the level of fraud. That's the level of switcheroo they're willing to do with the global health movement. And that should be, again, a red flag for everybody. Even with the uh, hydroxychloroquine, um, four times the amount, uh, you know, zinc wasn't used, um, you know, the... Uh, the, the, the procedure was not followed. Um, and again, you know, it's, I, I'm going to relate this again to um, a Star Wars analogy. It, the, the, you know, when it comes to science and doctors, a lot of times I relate them to the librarian in the Jedi, in the Jedi archives. And, you know, they're, they're, they have this, this, uh, just hubris about them that, if it's not in the archives, then it doesn't exist. And exactly. you know how how easy is it to see the the ties, the false science, um, the fact that you know Bill Gates has has funded uh, a lot of these you know projects, these these programs that that are have sort of swooped in and are now um, you know dictating what is the safe path to walk through this COVID minefield, and um, you know, it, 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 at what point does the evidence become overwhelming that, you know, that it's, you know, that I, I guess I first started seeing about a, the uh, the quantum dots in maybe mm. late December. Sure. Long before, long before there was anything with the, um, you know, the, the here state side anyway, long before we were seeing anything to do with COVID. Quantum dots started leaking into the, uh, you know, into the, to the, to the, to the, the info stream. And you started seeing that, and uh, and then oh my God, now cryptocurrency is tied to quantum dots, is tied to you know the you know the answer to everything, and then the coin shortage. When does it become enough? When when do we see that you know hey we're we're kind of being led along here, and maybe somebody should say something that's in a leadership position. Well, here we are reaching out to them. Here we are creating the the the, the populist uprising that will lead to that. I hope. And so, I, yeah, I, we're. we're I, I just don't under. They're they're the people's voice. You know, sure. they they understand this every every election cycle. But sure, <laughs> sure, sure. It. They forget it when it's in the people's house. And they, so, 
it'll be interesting to see. Again, uh, uh, President Trump has said several times very clearly the vaccines will be voluntary. So they'll be available to everybody, but no one will be forced to take them. That's really going to be my litmus test. I mean, again, I've liked most of what he's done. I've been very inspired by a great deal and worked very closely with Roger Stone, the United States Cannabis Coalition, to get hemp descheduled. We had a couple other things we worked on that just got stuck in the House and in the Senate, couldn't get to President Trump's desk. But it's been successes like that, as well as the right to try bill and several other things in the health freedom bill that have shown in the health freedom movement that have shown Trump to be friendly, logical, on our side, a real patriot. But forced inoculations always been the, 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 the ultimate litmus test of whether you have freedom or not. The ultimate decision is whether you can say no or not. And so that's really, again, it's a, to distill it all down is just an adult's ability to say yes or no to any medical practice. That defines health freedom. And of course, there are a thousand branches out from that and what it all means. But we're just trying to give people the basic rights to decide for themselves. Let's talk um, United States Cannabis Coalition for a moment. Um, so, you know, the um, you, again, were instrumental in, um, you know, in getting a lot of this out here. But you've been critical of where it's gone since, um, you know, since it was initially you know, the, the, you know, the, about health freedom. Um, so you've been very critical about it. And, um, you know, I, I respect that. Um, you've, I guess you have credited Proposition 64 with a lot of the, the hindrance economically to businesses and, and everything like that, if I understand that, that, you know, your, your argument there. Um, maybe talk about that, um, what it was intended to be, where it went wrong, how sure. you, you know, go for it. Sure. I worked with Jack Hare in the early 90s. I met one of the great cannabis pioneers. He's really a historian. He wrote a book called The Emperor Wears No Clothes. And there's a whole history of cannabis and the prohibition and lots of details a lot of people have forgotten about. So he became quite a, a lightning rod in the 70s and 80s and 90s um, campaigning for freedom. And he just, after the book, he wrote a one-page ballot initiative that would have given basic rights and freedoms to every citizen in California to use cannabis in, 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 in many ways, medicinally, recreationally, industrially. And, uh, and as a Republican, as a lifelong proud Republican, he made it simple, fair taxation, fair access, all of that. Uh, of course, in California, he met a lot of resistance to that, that model. But he made a, 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 an alliance with another lifelong proud Republican, Mr. Dennis Perone, a very famous gay activist in San Francisco, who uh, spearheaded the medical marijuana movement, convinced Jack and the rest of us in Southern California to not run our initiative for that year and to join him on a medical bill. So we did. We passed a medical bill. Then we went right back to trying to get our initiative passed that offered access to industrial use, which I've always considered to be the most important. I run my car on hemp oil. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. We can really change the world with this plant. But the medicinal aspect, especially during the mid-90s when AIDS was breaking out and things were going on, we thought, all right, it's an emergency act. Let's get the medicine in people's hands. And much of California stopped at that point. They were glad to get these little medical clinics. So many people were campaigning with kind of turned their back on us, kind of ignored us for the next 10 years and said, yeah, we'll get back to you. We'll help you sooner or later. But just let us get our medical clinics running. And a decade went by. Then they started fighting against us because they realized that if everybody had access to the marketplace, if everybody had access to this plant, they wouldn't make as much money. Having right. a, a captured market is a terrible thing unless you're the one capturing the market. Then it starts looking kind of cool in certain ways and then it gets useful in certain ways, right? So a lot of these people who are on our side 
you know, quit answering the phone after the, you know, about 10, 15 years. So we continued our campaign trying to get fair access. And finally, the globalists stepped in, as they had for every year leading up to that. And we'd stopped them every two years. We stopped them. But... Uh, 2016, Prop 64, Gavin Newsom, Snoop Dogg, Chris Conrad, every person in the state they could pay to attach themselves to this bill came out and said, don't worry, it won't affect your medical. Maybe it's not perfect, but it's pretty good and sold it to us. We knew it was the worst bill introduced in cannabis anywhere in the world. So California literally went from having the best cannabis law in the world to the worst cannabis law in the world in 2016. And that was that was heartbreaking because I was very proud of the work we did on 216. It wasn't our, our, our ultimate goal, but it was a, a, a historic step forward. And to lose those rights and have those thrown into a, a, a quagmire of regulations and taxation, which is really dragging the entire state down. I watched for the next year as the world's media that we're pretty sure was kind of you know nudged to promote 64 and not to talk too much about the details. Afterwards, sure. They really took the gloves off and started making fun of us. Most of the world's press has made a, a mockery of California in the last couple of years because we have so shot ourselves in the foot with this bill. And it's playing out on every front, from the patient's access to these guys running these monopolies. None of it's working out very well. So on that premise, and having met Roger Stone and started the United States Cannabis Coalition with him and done some things federally, the next step on our agenda was to save California. So we filed the Jack Hare Initiative, the Cannabis Hemp Heritage Act 2020, um, about a year ago, got it through the process, uh, had a lot of blowback, a lot of drama here in the state. A lot of people are uh, in bed with the med men and these big giant conglomerates that really got their eye on California. And we were doing okay until the COVID broke out. So halfway through the process of getting a ballot initiative, and that's a people's initiative, where people can write a law introduce it to get voted on and pass it. Not all states have that, but California and 11 other states have that process. So we don't have to go to Sacramento. If we've got a real radical law, we can get signatures, get it on the ballot and vote it in. That's how we did Prop 215 and many of the laws in California that kind of made California, California. We did by sidestepping Sacramento and passing our own laws. I believe every state should have this process. But, and actually in California right now, they're trying very hard to take that process away from us. They'd like to shelve the ballot initiative quit letting the peasants make laws and go back to Sacramento running the show as it should be. So, uh, so yeah, we're fighting to keep the ballot initiative, trying to utilize it, but we really hit a, a, a stumbling block in 2016 when it took away our medical rights and gave us this, this, this super taxation, hyper-regulation, everything the progressives want. We call it cannabis communism. If you took, communi if you took cannabis out of the Prop 64 and just added commodity you could read through that whole bill and be like, oh, this is what Stalin was talking about. This is what uh, 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 fascism technically is. This is what the fascists have been dreaming about. Seed to sale monitoring, complete control, getting permission to enter any part of the business model, right? Whether you're manufacturing or distributing or, or growing, whatever it is, you have to get permission. You not only have to put down hundreds of thousands of dollars and get special permits, but then your so local politicians up all the way up the line have to approve you to be in right. this industry, right? I mean, there's nothing more creepy about that except that's how all the fascist states run. That's how all the communist countries are anywhere in the world. It's the perfect model, and yet they don't want to talk about that here in California. So, and it has it, a lottery, right? Am I, am that's one of the ways they tried to solve this problem. Like, well, if we're only going to create a little niche, we got to make it appear fair. Then they got caught rigging all the lotteries. 
So they scrapped that and just said, listen, we're just going to choose the winners ourselves. Forget the pretense, right? We're just, it's, it's our game. That's really what Newsom says. When they were running it, we got word from Sacramento that many of the senators there were calling it the 2028 Gavin Newsom Presidential Slush Fund because it taxes cannabis at 50%, and now we're at 53%. Um, and half of that goes into cannabis policing, but all of it goes through the governor's hands. So the governor gets to choose how they spend half of California's tax money, which is half the money raised, and they say it's a five, six, seven billion dollar a year industry. So we're talking about two or three billion dollars in cannabis taxes being put towards cannabis policing. The only thing we ever had going for us in California is they only had three helicopters. They only had two task force. They could only hit four farms a day. They could only do, you put billions of dollars every year into that policing, there will not be an illegal off books grow in this whole state in the next five years. They will solve the problems of, of, of regulation and create a model that, again, it's already squeezing most of people are leaving. Half of Humboldt's already in Oklahoma. Oklahoma, ironically, passed a law similar to what we've been trying to do. Not quite as good, but in that same vein. Spend $2,500, get a license. If you're not good at the business, you won't be around in a couple of years. If you're good at it, you'll get some taxes. They'll get some taxes out of you. But just put down $100,000 first, and we're taxing. All of that's gone. So Oklahoma's thriving right now, while California's now, I won't even say slowly, while well, California is shriveling up, our entire industry is evaporating in front of us and, uh, and is looting and all this hasn't helped on top of that, right? They've targeted almost every medical cannabis industry in the, in the country as part of this looting campaign that's gone on for a couple of months. So this idea of solidarity or that they're somehow for the people with this, 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 uh, uh, these riots, that gets shown to me as be completely bogus by the targeting of cannabis uh, shops around the country. So it's been a, it's been, oh boy, it's been an interesting year too. Trying oh, to trying to maneuver through all those different factors. Um, I made a, uh, I, I made a uh, a note here um, about a tweet that Paul Joseph Watson tweeted out in 2019, and he basically it was rhetorical, and he basically said, "How Orwellian can it get?" Mm. And I think from that tweet on, he jinxed us. Uh, I th I'm going to blame it all on PJ. <laughs> but, but no, I mean, every I, and I say this a whole lot, but every time I, I, you know, every time I wake up in 2020, it's what is next? What's what's the next shoe to drop? What's the next thing? You know, what's I, I just I heard um, on Coast to Coast um, in 20, I guess, January of 2017. Uh, I forget who it was. Uh, but the guest mentioned that they were talking about Antarctica and, and the guest got around to saying, well, you know, now that Trump's in, um, you know, basically uh, when they start talking about UFOs, you know, all the pedophiles are scurrying. And when they start talking about UFOs, you know, you, you need to start you need to start having a plan B. <laughs> sure. and, and then, um, you know, I just kind of passed it off. Uh, you know, I was, you know, just just passed it off, went on with my, with my life, but it kind of stuck in my head as I started seeing, uh, the TikToks, or I'm sorry, the TikToks and, uh, well, hell, the TikTok might be alien as well. I don't know. <laughs> Thanks. My daughter has posted, but, no, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's just, uh, it's amazing to see where we have gone, um, you know, just down the, the actual proverbial rabbit hole. And, um, 
I, I don't think it has, uh, you know, I, I don't think it has stopped. Um, it, it's just accelerating. Uh, the, the DNC is is insane. Um, but, you know, with COVID, I guess one of the things I wanted to, to ask you, because I guess I don't think anybody saw this coming, how has it affected the uh, the political strategy, the, the, the campaigning, the, uh, you know, everything out there? Has it, and obviously it's hobbled, um, but what's it like out there in Sure. Yeah. No, ironically, as we're just getting into the next phase, we got descheduling of hemp in the 2018 farm bill, which Trump signed four days before Christmas. And uh, then we got the States Act and the Safe Banking Act introduced in the House because Trump said he would sign both of those. That's kind of Rogers and I's job was to get Trump to agree to sign certain things, to get him caught up on some of the details. And, you know, it says it's the whole process. The president announces what he'll sign and the Senate and, and House work it out and send it to him. They usually don't write bills unless the president gives a signal ahead of time. There's no point in going through that whole process that they know it's just going to hit the president's desk and sit there. So us getting him to make the public statement, here's what I'm willing to sign. That was the majority of our work. Moder you know, modeling it, keeping it uh, an eye on it. We had to do a lot of work with the farm bill. They wanted to make it very, uh, you know, they wanted to make it very uh, uh, heavy in regulation. So we went back and forth on that. I'm used to writing ballot initiatives, perfect piece of law, introduced, voted on, or yes or no. This whole passing it back and forth between the House and the Senate and it changing every time was very frustrating, very hard to deal with. And signing off on a bill that wasn't perfect anymore. Started out pretty good, got worse, got a little bit better, had to sign off and say, all right, farm bill, legalized hemp, not perfect, but done, right? The Safe Banking Act and the state and the, the States Act also wouldn't have forced all the states to legalize. It isn't descheduling it federally, but we allowed every state that has legalized on whatever level they have to function safely. And that's the conundrum. States are legalizing it. It's still federally illegal. No one's quite sure how that gels. So those two bills would have taken care of those issues and allowed us to move forward. If Georgia wanted to keep it illegal, they could have. But California, Colorado, all these states could have started doing interstate trade, hence next step international trade, you know, turn this into the, uh, the industry our founding fathers wanted it to be. Our founding fathers, that's, when the, that's how I won over Roger Stone and some of these people. They like the ideas. They like Jack Hare's book. But what really caught them off guard was the passion our founding fathers had for cannabis. They sound like a bunch of, uh, yeah, they sound like a bunch of Northern California hippies when you actually read through their journals and understand that this wasn't just, just another crop. This wasn't just something they happened to have on their farm every once in a while. They risked their lives to get this plant from France to here. They risked their lives to, to, uh, to, to build this into the infrastructure. It was against the law not to grow hemp. For the first hundred years leading up to the forming of our country. So that's how crucial it was. And the passion they had about sitting on their porches and smoking a pipe of it, you know, the references to it being tangible, similar to the way we do today, uh, uh, wasn't familiar with many of those folks. So as they learned that not only because it's so hippie, hip hop associated today, it's hard to make that patriotic jump. It's easy to see cannabis as something that is so radically counterculture that if you're conservative, it's easy to rebel against it. But that's part of the framing. That's part of the globalist agenda is to take this away from the mainstream and make it fringe and then take things that are fringe and make a mainstream. So we're just trying to reset the books here. Um, so yeah, uh, what we thought was going to be a big coalition working on our state ballot initiative this time, of course, turned into us raising funds for Roger Stone's legal defense. 
So for the last 16 months while we we're launching this campaign, not only did we not have the support of this, this, this infrastructure we have, but we had to divert some of our energy towards trying to keep our, 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 our leader, our fearless leader out of prison and away from that, that, that disaster down in Florida he's facing. Let me ask you this. Um, you know, here, here in West Virginia, even, even some of the more uh, conservative leadership that I've spoken with, um, you know, they, um, they're not diametrically opposed to, um, you know, to marijuana legalization. I, I think some of the more conservative people I've talked to, even people with former law enforcement and whatnot, you know, their main concerns were they, they wanted to make sure that it was maybe more, uh, you know, I heard suggestions like maybe ran more like a state ABC store would have in, in the past, where the state ensured that you know, that, that the quality, you know, and, and not, not stepping on, uh, I'm not saying that it's, that everything is state grown and state ran, but, but just according to the, the state's quality standards, I'm, I'm assuming, um, you know, uh, everything like that, you know, it's not something that is off the books, but the thing I think that, that frustrates me the most with conservative leadership, especially is they say things like, um, you know, I don't have trouble with uh, marijuana legalization specifically, it's just that it doesn't allow, you know, it, it will keep people from getting qualifying for jobs through drug testing and things like that. How does, how does, how did California um, craft the law so that it was, so that the use skirted, um, you know, the, the, the employment screenings and things like that? Can you, can you speak to that at all? A little bit, yeah. Now, once you take it out of the realm of criminal activity, then most businesses take it off the list of of, of testing testing for it, right? They link it. They yeah. use it as an excuse. Like, like maybe like alcohol or something. Uh, right. right. There's nobody testing you to see if you drink alcohol on the weekend while you're working your job during the week. And the tests are a little different. Things that, uh, that, uh... <laughs> no, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. Again, it's it's the day we start addressing this like, again, it's frustrating because everyone's told me my whole life, don't worry so much about the cannabis thing. We won alcohol prohibition, we'll win cannabis just like it. So I started doing a lot of study of alcohol prohibition. Like, well, what was that all about? Alcohol prohibition was about fuel, 95% fuel. The year they started alcohol prohibition, half of America was making half of their fuel out of yard waste. Half of America was making half of their fuel out of yard waste every week. Right. That's why they started prohibition. Is that biogas so, or, or how Yeah, how just gasoline. Just gasoline. Again, our gasoline cars are meant to run on alcohol. Our diesel cars are meant to run on vegetable oil. They came up with petroleum replacements for both of those, but neither one of those were designed to run on petroleum. So we're making five cents a gallon locally produced, produced clean burning fuel. All of America, everybody. It's a five thousand year old technology, one of the foundations of our nation. It's the fact that everyone is brewing their own alcohol and growing their own cannabis. Right. So, to say in the thirties they start they so they banned it to create prohibition on it. Seventeen years later, they lifted the prohibition. We never got back to making fuel. We actually, after prohibition ended, for the next ten years, we put many, many more people in jail for alcohol crimes. Than during the almost 20 years of alcohol prohibition. So that's also my warning to everybody. It's not about it just being legal and it's over. More, and that's what I warned everyone here in California. More people will go to jail if we legalize it improperly than having it as contraband and having it under prohibition. It's been a slow, steady arrest, arrest, arrest. But under 
fake legalization, many more people, like I said, they put half the tax money in the cannabis policing. So instead of having 40 or $50 million a year for enforcement, they're going to have four or $500 million a year for enforcement right. of the same farms, the same gardenings, the same. And for 20 years here, the way we wrote the medical bill was you could have as much as you needed. You and your doctor decided what you could do. And that's sort of the goal of, I believe, any patriot, any conservative who says, well, we need to regulate this so it'll be safe for the kids. They're not a, really a Republican. They're not really a conservative. They're, 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 they're sound like a Democrat, right? That's hyper regulate everything. So it's safe for the kids. This is one of the safest substances on the planet when you actually get into it. The, the, what it takes to overdose on cannabis is thousand, It's easier to do, overdose on cannabis by having a, a bricks fall on you, 10,000 bricks, than actually smoking it. You can't think, do it. I think maybe what uh, what they were referring to, I, I mean, I, I don't think, uh, you know, some of the people that I've spoken with, it, you know, essentially, I, I think maybe what they were more getting along at uh, with, with that would be that ensuring that, that it wasn't just somebody growing it, uh, using the wrong type of, uh, you know, the wrong, and maybe, maybe putting a chemical on it that was not something that was safe for consumption, say once it was burned or something like that. But, and, but I definitely agree, you know, the, the right. more, I mean, like, like the tobacco industry's done, did the tobacco right. industry give us a better standard for, 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 for this herb or were right. we doing it a hundred years in our garden with some fish. Now they right. use radioactive. I swear, I, I swear the tobacco industry was the first to get approval for radioactive fertilizers. So on top of the chemicals, I mean, you listen, look at what's in a cigarette. It's like 600 additional chemicals added to the normal tobacco plant. And in there in the very bottom, sometimes listed as radioactive fertilizers. So that's the regulatory agencies that we're going to put cannabis in the hands of. And we're scared that some guy's going to use some grow mix on his, in his yard for his own cannabis. When people grow for themselves, they're very careful. When corporations right. are growing for us, they get less and less careful every year. And the lawyers start protecting them from all the, you know, the, the slippery slope that they get on. Right. So yeah, when you're growing it for yourself, you get a couple bugs on there. You take care of them whenever. When you're growing... 50 million plants to supply 20 million people, you cut a lot of corners. And that's the danger is again, when I'm growing for myself, mostly I'm juicing it. The most, the greatest benefit from the cannabis plant is to take the raw plant and to juice it. The smoking of it, the, the, the topicals, all sorts of other uses are, are, are very useful, very good, very important. But the thing we're missing is it as our number one food source. I have anthropologists now saying for the last 400,000 years, cannabis has been 80% of the human diet. Not 8%, not even 50%, but 80% of the human diet was cannabis. That's one it's of the things. for even me. I have that on my notes. Um, I, I was going to ask you because, because it's, it, you know, a lot of people talk about how, you know, the, uh, the uh, cannabosum, um, you know, the aromatic, uh, you know, reed that was, that was, uh, you know, supposedly mixed and, and, you know, in an oil for the temples and, you know, for, for the, the holy temple. And, the uh, goes by the side of the river that harvests 12 harvests every year, right? Well, All the, those. 
but the thing is, is there's there's even on that side, there's there's people that come out and they say, you know, they they put their two cents into it, and no, God didn't endorse. But but the thing is that the one thing you can't, you know, dispute is that in Genesis, he says, "I give to you all herb," and I'm 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 not going off on a Cypress Hill thing here, but but I mean it's true, I you know. It, he he says, I've given you all herb bearing seed after its own kind. And that's one thing I was going to ask you. I know I'm I'm kind of the time slipping away here. But, um, you know, one thing I was going to ask you, because you you talked about how uh, a staple of your diet, I believe, is is hemp seed. And, uh, and so what happens to the body once you shift from things that are produced um you know, off, you know, off, like you said, on some, some factory somewhere, as opposed to once you start taking in, um, hemp, the powders, I'm sure you use hemp powder. I'm sure you do, but, uh, but talk about, talk about the changes. Um, I grind up, I roast up hemp seeds and grind them up with my coffee every morning. So I get my first dose in the morning with coffee of essential fatty acids, um, through my coffee and then everything else through the day as well. I, I, I add hemp seed to most of my foods, but, um, my coffee is my secret recipe. I'm telling you, you got the inside tip there. Um, yeah, no, I went to the top expert in the world on essential fatty acids. His name's uh, Dr. What is his name? Uh, I'll think of it in a second. I haven't actually talked about him in a little while. But he's a uh, Dr. Ott, Ott, I think. He's written many books. He came up with a recipe. And really, you get into essential fatty acids. There's essential fatty acid three, six, and nine. And we, we found is the human body needs them at a three to one ratio of three and six to nine. And without that, a whole series of things in the body that have to happen don't happen. So if we're taking, it's a weird, it's like a key. It's like a, a very specific key. You put it in and if all the pieces are there, you turn it and the body starts building this brain and the spinal column right down to the marrow inside all the bones. It all requires this very specific recipe of three, six and nine, but at a certain ratio. So most people are eating fax oil, they're getting olive oil, they're getting oils from, from, from meat, they're getting all these oils. And every once in a while, in this ever-swifting pendulum of, of all these essential fatty acids, the body hits that three to one ratio of three, six, and nine, and all this stuff happens, maybe only for an hour, as the body then swifts back to that off that ratio, because you got too much flax oil, you got too much olive oil, you got too much of this oil, right? So... When you center yourself, when the main essential fatty acids come into your body are that, that magic key, which again, it can only be explained either through divine hand or through the evolutionary process of us eating 80% hemp seed for 400,000 years. If we have developed, if we found out early, early on that like, hey, that plant makes us feel good and makes us healthy every single time. It's easy to grow. Every time we throw seeds around, we come back, there's a bunch of them and they're 12 feet tall and they're just thick, bushy things. And Quatama Buddha, the Buddha said the seven years before he became the Buddha, when he was just a prince, before he became enlightened, what did he do for that last seven years? He says he only ate hemp seeds. Very interesting teaching. And I've never met a Buddhist who only eats hemp seeds which shocks me, right? But he says that the process of becoming enlightened, there was seven years where he only ate hemp seeds, nothing else. And that allowed him to get back to a pristine state where he could open up his chakra and become enlightened. That's amazing. How do we ignore historical teachings like that? And again, it, and that's for Buddhism. For Christianity, 
it is the most mentioned herb in the Bible. When you put can and almost all biblical scholars admit today, cannabossum is cannabis cannabis blossoming, right? So, uh, and and that the reed and many of these other references are also to cannabis. So once you start putting those all together, you realize again these people sound like hippies from Northern California and their founding fathers, the Bible. This isn't something we discovered. This isn't something new or modern. There's always been a knowledge and a passion. Same with the Bhagavad Gita in India, the, even more so. I mean, think Buddhism and Christianity mention it in India. It's a huge part of their story. It's all about the, 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 uh, the, the, the Shiva looked down on the mountain together with the gods one time and looked down on the mountain and said, these people they think they're going to die. Oh my gosh. They actually believe at the end of their life, it's the end. And they don't know what happens afterwards. That it's got to be terrifying. Go give them cannabis. And so they, that's how, they, that's how it came to us is the gods realizing, oh my gosh, we didn't tell them that don't worry about after death. It's all going to be okay. Look at them. They're all worried down there. Go give them cannabis. So again, all over the world, everyone's recognized that this is fundamental. Now we have modern science catching us up on why that is, that we need it to build our bone, our spinal column, our brain. Everything's required, this, this very special recipe of three, six, and nine, and cannabis has it perfectly. So as a fundamental protein base, it's technically the only one, somebody who's truly studying nutrition, it would be the only source you could say 100%, that's the way to go. Everything else, Dr. Uh, again, I'm forgetting the doctor's name with the, the, the essential fatty acids. He, um, he put together a recipe uh, of seven what? different oils. It's not raw like this, is it? Uh, what? No, 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 no. No, this is very, no, no, no. Very specific expert just on essential fatty acids. Um, he put together a seven oil blend that basically made hemp oil. And that's how the whole dialogue with me got started at the end of his lecture. I was like, well, how did we evolve? Because the almonds aren't in the same place olive oil is, is in the same place flax oil is. So you got this thing going on, but how did we get here? And at the very end, kind of under his breath to a big group of health professionals, he said, well, basically I've recreated hemp oil. That's how we got here. That's how we got this equation into the body. Now I'm just meeting it because, you know, and this was in the early 90s. He's like, we can't get hemp oil anywhere in the world really that we can count on. So I've made this oil blend. Um, Udo, Udo, Dr. Udo, Udo's choice, Udo's blend, U-D-O, Udo, that's why I had a hard time with his name, but Dr. Udo, top expert in the world, and admitted to me, I just recreated hemp oil. Didn't mention it, whole two-hour lecture, never mentioned hemp, but when I raised my hand and got him in this dialogue, he had to say, all right, yeah, it was cannabis. So again, I've, 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 you know, I know where I'm standing. My car, it will run four times as long on hemp oil as it does on diesel number two. Nice. It gets about the same gas mileage, get about the same gas mileage per gallon, except the next four cars I have to buy, I don't have to buy. My neighbor has to buy because he's lazy and goes to the gas station and gets petroleum. I run my car on hemp oil. I will not be buying those next four cars. So people say it's expensive. It takes a little time, especially nowadays. It is a, a bit of a hassle. But buying four more Mercedes beds is a, a bigger hassle. Right. right. So right. again, what what is this really costing us worldwide? It's hard to say, but my equation's changing more and more. There's a group of Canadian students, as a side project, made graphene out of hemp. They only had a little bit of hemp. Their school studying hemp. The official project was done, and they found hemp laying on the floor. So they swooped up a pile of hemp and said, well, what can we do with it on the side? And they decided to make the most complicated, one of the most complicated things in modern manufacturing is graphene. 
So as a side project, students made graphing that was industry standards or above, so worked better than the big companies in the world today that make graphing at one one thousandth the energy input, wow. which is one one thousandth the cost. And if that's the equation, we could have worked one day every three years and had everything we have, phones, computers, cars, airplanes, all of that. The thousand-fold tax that's been put on us so we could use petroleum and keep 5,000 oil barons rich instead of 100 million hemp farmers. And it's cost us a thousand times for everything we're using. Wow. That's what I fight about. It's certainly not about our right to smoke joints on the front porch. It's certainly not about whether we're going to smoke pot or drink or do this. Or it is as, right, right, right. We're literally talking about whether we survive as a species because someday petroleum is going to catch up with us. We can say it's a little bit easier. We can say it's a little bit easier to control because, you know, oil barons, 10 of them can drill these oil, you know, thousands, miles into the ground and pull this gusher. But if we just spread that out, and it's really nice because hemp feeds the soil as you grow it, unlike most crops. So it's more like if nothing came out of hemp, it'd be worth the global campaign we're doing right now to get it planted all over the world just for what it does to the soil. Our if vitamins and minerals are depleted. We're, we're being depleted. I exactly. Mean, the, the, the soil fed nutri uh, nutrients and nitrates into the soil as hemp grows. It's like a miracle. So again, it's, it's the one plant. Again, it's, 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 it's this odd phenomenon. And uh, so, yeah, that's if nothing came out of it, the 50,000 products, if we couldn't make graphene or fuel or food or anything, it would still be worth the campaign to get this normalized around the world just for the health of our soil. The fact that it does everything else makes it a no brainer. So I, I, I'm, I want to pick your brain on one thing because I am, um, you know, outside of the, you know, the whole cannabis, um, you know, what, what marijuana does and everything like that. I, I guess for about a year now, um, I have, uh, I have really come to the, and I, I don't know why it didn't happen soon, but I have come to really the full understanding of the effect of CBD, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, there's articles on, you know, uh, the headline is, you know, uh, is CBD now bigger than Jesus? I don't believe that. I don't think it'll ever get there. I mean, he kind of created it, but so, so he'll always have the one up, but um, you know, there's, there's those things out there, but the thing about it, you know, obviously there's not a high, there's a sense of well-being. Uh, there's a, there's a, um, uh, the most incredible thing for me is um, when I tried it, what happened when I went to sleep? It was not like it, it was maybe like when I was a kid, you know, going back to how vivid those dreams were. It was almost like piercing the veil and, and going into another, you know, another dimension where, where you know, I, I experienced the dream. I, you know, you can you just you your dreams are so more vivid. And when you wake up in the morning, you have you have had that rest. Um, sure. I was just, I was, I was shocked, but um, the product that I, and, I, and I'm not plugging, I, I sell it. This isn't about this. I just, I just wanted to know your take on, because I, have you ever tried the aquaceutical um, uh, uh, CBD? Um, I, I, it's uh, basically where I, I guess the average size is about maybe 2000 uh, nanograms or nanometers. I'm sorry, 2000 nanometers. For, for CBD oil, um, but 
um, the product that I use is is seven nanometers. Mm. Mm. And it's encapsulated in aquaceutical, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's a, uh, I'm sorry, it's, it's encapsulated in, in uh, basically water that's, uh, you know, alkaline, it's, it's pharmaceutical grade, it's, it's, but it is uh, just the, the intake of it. It's so clean. It's so quick. And I don't know if you had, have you ever seen anything like that? I believe I've tried a few similar products out of Colorado. They got the head start ahead of us. And, 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 and that was the big thing is once it becomes above ground, then a lot of the, the, the nutraceutical industry, the health, the health market can then start doing what they do. Cause they do amazing things with ginseng and, and, and all the different, you know, uh, supplements out there. You walk into a whole foods, it's a nearly overwhelming, right? So that industry and what they're going to be able to do with cannabis down the road is phenomenal. Um, at the same time, it's like selling O'Doul's. It's like the 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 liquor-free beer. We're all a little amazed. Nobody saw this coming. That like, well, we're gonna like, and because people are smoking it, people are smoking CBD joints. There's a thousand yeah. products for CBDs. We're still having a hard time just getting a normal joint on the shelf. A normal the idea of you know having a a, a, a medicated slushy is a big deal all over the country. It's still very certain controversial. Color, certain color paper or something like that. Sure, right, right. There's all sorts of issues. And yet the CBD thing that none of us saw coming has become the the the, the engine moving cannabis down the road. So we're yeah. glad to see it. It's like, a, it's like if you don't have vitamin C, you get scurvy. There are many things that happen if you don't have cannabis. If there isn't, again, if this has been such a staple in our culture for so long, and right up until, again, up until the 1800s, it was... Even if people didn't consciously know they were consuming it, most pigs, chickens, and cows were fed. A majority of their food was hemp seed and hemp, just whole plants. So this CBDs, this THC, all the 400 cannabinoids that are known in cannabis have been working their way into our system for thousands of years. Again, the anthropologists say hundreds of thousands of years. And we form a, 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 a connectedness with that. It becomes part of our system. So when you start removing that, it'd be like vitamin C. Again, Linus Pauling had a hard time in the 50s convincing in the modern world how much they needed vitamin C. We're kind of going through that with cannabis. It's not that it's an extra thing, like you're trying to get a little bit of THC in your body so you can get high. It's connecting with cannabinoid receptors that are already in our brain. Third scientists saying we have more cannabis receptors, cannabinoid receptors in our brain than any other cannabinoids and than any other receptors. So it's a, it, 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 it really, again, it starts to get a tighter and tighter picture of the guy, the anthropologists and all these references in the books and the Bible and all this stuff. It, it, it's right. It starts compounding one on top of the other that, oh, this has always been here. Oh, this is very important. Oh, this is supernatural. The body's already adapted to it. So it's, it's, I love the CBD products. I think they're important. I think it's, there's, there should be room for people to get, you know, me medicated without the, the, the high. And yet the synergy of them all working together is how they work best. Sure. So we're trying to get people not to be so scared of the high of cannabis because ultimately it's not that much different than a, a chamomile. I mean, it's much less impactful for the body than caffeine. Right. So I can take my kid to the coffee shop and order a 10-year-old kid a cup of coffee and then get some coffee ice cream and then give him a coffee a candy. <laughs> and no one's going to say a word to me. Am I getting my kid high on drugs? Well, yeah. 
I mean, I could jack out a kid on seven Coca-Colas and then a cup of coffee and coffee-flavored ice cream and all the things they're terrified with cannabis. We keep hearing this, oh, you can't put it in something sweet. You can't have it in a label that looks like, yeah, you can't die on cannabis. You can overdose on coffee. You can kill a kid on coffee. Six cups of coffee, a kid's going to die. Six joints, nothing, nothing. Like no, no bad, you overdose on cannabis, you just go to sleep. Right. maybe get a little loopy but there's no physical effects right so this idea that we have completely normalized serious drugs caffeine for kids with not a second thought in our head and yet we're going to hold such a double standard like oh my god the entire world's got to be set up to make sure a kid never gets his hand on cannabis right. I, I i just can't buy into that i can't help feed that hysteria because it's not based on science. It's not based on real tangible dangers. It's just based on the propaganda of the last hundred years. It's based on the demon devil's weed, right? It's based on all this emotional stuff. It doesn't, right. If anything, maybe we should reel back, and I'm not really about this, but maybe we should reel back access to caffeine for kids, right? If we're going to do this, if we're going to get real hoopy-doopy about cannabis, then we should probably think about uh, caffeine as well. And if we're not, then drop it with the cannabis. Let right. adults take care of their kids like we have for hundreds of years, thousands of years. Let us make those decisions. Let us decide whether a kid getting his hand on some cannabis candy at 12 is, is, is life-changing or not. That's, that's, that's again, we, we hope for a, a more mature future where citizens are actually treated like, we talk about the nanny state. The nanny state implies that we're all infants that we're all children who can't take care of ourselves and as we move closer and closer into that we start acting like it once we let them decide what our choices are then we are then we kind of you know we lower ourselves we, we become complacent so yeah the challenge of freedom is it's a lot of responsibility but if that's not what you want there are 194 other countries in the world to move to if you don't want the responsibility here you can go anywhere in the world and have them tell you what to do but if you choose to be in america it comes with responsibility and expect the fda or some group to take care of all those choices for you is uh it's an anathema to our system so two more things um you've been really gracious with your time i appreciate it um it's a pleasure. the um okay so so say some lawmakers in west virginia here are here are our discussion today and uh I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to, uh, to imitate him, but I'm going to use some terminology that the government would understand. Say he reaches out to you and he wants a monster tsunami of revenue coming in from, you know, sensible cannabis um, legislation. How do you build that? Seeing what you've seen, going through what you've gone through, how do you build a more perfect um, bill um, that uh, how, how do you how, uh, walk just and I know it's a complex issue and I'm asking you to, to pour a, a swimming pool and a teacup. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, just basically um, th that's a justice isn't probably there. He, he'll probably use it anyway. That's a good one. But uh, swimming pool and a teacup, Mr. Justice. <laughs> so love it. I, I, was, for us. I was blessed to meet Jack here in the early 90s and he already had a good bill. Then for every two years before we filed it again, we opened it up to everybody in the state to see if they can make it better. 
So we have vetted this bill every two years for 30 years now, including a year ago when we started it. We opened it up again. And what we added to it this year in California was Second Amendment protections because we're watching more and more around the country this swap off. Like, well, if we give you this right, we're going to take away this one for sure. So we added to the the CHHA2020, and it's .com, CHHA2020.com. We added to our bill this year Second Amendment protections. But over the years, we'd hammered out all the tangible protections that we thought were necessary. So limiting taxes, limiting licensing fees, assuring people they can have a, a reasonable home grow, a little home garden, uh, 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 just assuring that kind of uh, access, which is an, uh, uh, which the DPA, the Drug Policy Alliance, the Soros Group, is headed in the opposite direction. So for almost every principle in our initiative, they've taken it and gone in the other direction with it. So my working model today is to, uh, still our initiative, and the closest we've seen to it passing is Oklahoma a few years ago. And they passed a bill, not, not all the details of ours, but some of the basics in our bill. Right now, there are three times more dispensaries in Oklahoma than California. We have 10 times the population, and they have three times, and we've been doing this for you know 80 years, but really intensely for the last 25 years since we got legal access with medical, and in three years, Oklahoma's far surpassed us, not 30% more dispensaries, three times, 300% more dispensaries. And with us having 10 times the population, somebody in Oklahoma has 30 times the legal options as a citizen in California does, which is, again, an anathema because Oklahoma's technically done nothing for 80 years to keep cannabis culture alive. California's done a lot. And in three years, who controls the market, who's becoming a major player, and who is you know, losing market share and value have become inverted. So right. my model for anybody is just look at what's happening. Just look at, again, why did Oklahoma do that? Not because they love cannabis, because they hate communism. It's the right. most conservative state in America. So they said, you know, even the guys there were like, I don't like cannabis, but I'm not going to play games with people's livelihood. I'm not going to play games with taxation. I'm not going to play games with, so they passed a bill for something they may not have even liked, but they made it fair. Here, all these senators talk about how much they love cannabis, but they need to tax it at 50%. We need to pick and choose the winners before the game starts. We need to only allow certain people. We'll make sure we'll add minorities. That's the whole game they play now is social equity. We control the market so tightly that we can make sure 20% are minorities and 30% are women and 40% are this or that. And they pick and choose all the stuff because they're doing that anyways. We can't do that. Our bill can never offer. Everyone hits us. Well, what's your social equity program? Our social equity program is everyone has access to the market. Everybody. Sure. An equal chance to. Yeah. An equal chance. Right. But that's not what a lot of these people want. They don't want an equal chance. They want a seat at the monopolist table. Right. So there are only 200 people running the state's cannabis law. If you get one seat at that table, it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So a lot of people traded their vision of starting a little dispensary, getting their own strain going, starting the arc of building a business, and over a lifetime, maybe building it up to something you know you pass on to the next generation. They decided that it would be so much easier just to step in at the big boys' table and get one of these uh, uh, special permits where only I'm allowed to grow and instantly be worth $100 million. You don't have to go through all that work. You don't even have to have deal with competition. You just get to run. They're they're selling herb in California right now. It's not even cured. 
these five and ten million dollar dispensaries, the Med Men and these big conglomerates, all the celebrities, every celebrity's got their little brand they're trying to get started right now. They don't even cure the herb. It'd be like serving with it's like going through a prohibition at the end. They're like, oh well, we're now we're gonna serve you whiskey. It's it's fresh. Here you'll like it. It's, it's fresh whiskey. Like, well, <laughs> we age our whiskey. Well, we don't age whiskey now. This is the way it is, right? You'd be like, well, that's not even really whiskey. That's the way cannabis, it's not really cannabis unless you cure it properly. That's part of it. That's where you get the flavor that's sold, like the ending process. Right. They skip that. They don't need to do that because they got a monopoly. Right. Well, you know, there's a thousand problems with monopolies. So yeah, we have to, again, the models is as clear as could be. California, Oklahoma. There's your choices, right? And 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 when you start doing a little deep dive into what the media and pretty much everybody's had to say about California in the last three years, it's a nightmare. I mean, the, and again, I watch this. It's it's a it's a gleefulness a lot of journalists have around the world making fun of California. They love to poke when they get a chance to, and when we expose ourselves like this, it's easy to do. So the headlines. So that's why we're so eager to run the campaign this year is because the media had done most of our job. If they'd steadily for three years kept saying, oh, 64 is great. It's all working out great. I would have had some hesitation even jumping in. But right. all the PR, all the promotion, all the reasons we we're running our campaign were already made very clear by the mainstream media in the last couple of years. So for us, half of it was done. Just getting on the ballot was our only hurdle. And that was, again, stopped by the, uh, the uh, Secretary of State. And we're still working with Robert Barnes trying to get legal a challenge to the Secretary of State. He's doing it in several other states, but he has some, for some reason, he has some hesitation to take on the Secretary of State in California. So I'm still not sure. Week by week, we're kind of running out of time here, but we're still trying to get Robert Barnes to challenge the Secretary of State to give us a chance to be on the ballot and just let it be decided. You know, this letting COVID take down our democracy seems, uh, everyone else got concessions, no matter what you were, school teacher, everybody got some sort of concession, except the workings of our democracy. Except the ballot initiative process, we were literally told, kick rocks. Just go out there and get signatures from people who are told to keep six feet away from you. We're supposed to get wet signatures on paper to do this thing. And so, again, we, we, we're, we're still, I'm still a little flustered. I'm still a little uh, uh, frustrated by the conundrum we're in. But it may still work out. We may still end up on this November's ballot, in which case California has a chance to redeem itself. They said for 30 years. It's just so radical. We love your bill. We like Jack here. It's a good idea, but it's just too much to ask for. It's just way too radical. We got to little steps, baby steps. We got to work with both sides, right? We right. went from that to trying to catch up with Oklahoma. <laughs> too radical to now we're just trying to catch up to Oklahoma. Hey, so, yeah, that's, that's progress, man. That's progress. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one last thing. Uh, if you're not comfortable talking about it, I understand. Uh, you know, over the weekend, the attacks on Roger, uh, the whole Tory situation. Do you have a, uh, would you care to opine on that, um, on the things that uh, that we have seen unfold? I, I, I mentioned, you know, and I, I'm not attacking anybody. I, I don't, I, I don't know the inner workings there, but I mean, it seems to me like, uh, and again, it's like that Phantom Menace for the, for the another Star Wars analogy. I can't put my finger on it. Hard to see the dark side is. But um, I've seen this plan before. I've seen this game happen. I, I just thought maybe I would uh, see if you wanted to maybe throw your, your hat in the ring on, on uh, opining on this whole situation. 
Sure. No, just when I thought I couldn't get any more confusing, right? <laughs> boy, oh boy. Yeah, yeah. no, if I, there's a part of me that thinks, well, should I have attached myself to Mr. Stone three and a half years ago or not? And I'm still, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's a weighing it out. Um, I like Mr. Stone. I respect Mr. Stone immensely. His life work has been incredible. His five New York Times bestsellers, amazing, sticking to his principles. Um, and again, and choosing to make cannabis his issue in the last three and a half years, coming out of you know what was a, seemed like the long shot, getting Trump into the White House, getting him into the White House, having Trump say, man, I owe this guy the biggest favor in the world. Anything he wants, I'll help him on. And then for Stone to say, well, you heard him say it, I'm gonna make him legalize cannabis. That's incredibly bold. He could have done anything. He could have just retired and avoided this whole mess, or he could have just chose some little, you know, other thing and not had so much heat. But he chose this issue in the Republican Party at this time. So again, I gotta give him the 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 the, the props he deserves for that. And the rest of what I hear about him, much like Trump, much like uh, uh, Kavanaugh, much like all of us, man, the things I've heard about me, right? I'm a racist, sexist, rapist, uh, uh, Nazi, all this stuff, right? So the, 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 it just starts piling up, right? So whether Stone, what his involvement were with these companies 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago as they were figuring out how to optimize their political influence on the internet doesn't concern me so much. I mean, he's worked with hundreds of people through the years. So the idea that any one of them was the guy they're going to connect them to when I know how casual these relationships can be. I know what it means to build a coalition. Anybody who's kind of on your side's on your side, right? So whether he was directly involved, we'll find out how much of the internet gaming is kind of what it is. It's kind of internet gaming. Like how do you optimize your, your which is a profession for many people today, getting people, to, you know, optimized at the top of the Google search, all that stuff is very above ground today. 15, 20 years ago is all a little confusing, like how that worked, even 8, 10, 12 years I ago. Have, that's white hat. Yeah, absolutely. 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 So again, I, I have a lot of, uh, somebody's going to have to really bring out some dirt. Somebody's going to have to really make some cases against Stone and really against, at this point, against any conservative. I've got to see it 110% because I know the tendency is to lie. The tendency is to radically exaggerate. You know, that's that's the strategy. So before I can take anything silence. seriously. And to silence the the object of that to so that they can't defend themselves to begin with. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, but see Millie Weaver and Alex Jones and Stone all kind of started to pit against each other. Somewhere somebody's getting a check written somewhere. Somebody's being congratulated for creating this kind of inner fighting. That is their greatest tool. As again, as we always say, if they're destroying themselves, step back, let them do it. When you see your enemies infighting, let them go at it. Same with us. When they see us, when they can get us to, to uh, 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 you know, undercut ourselves, that's their greatest victory. So we sure. have to be careful. At the same time, we don't want to get duped, fake people moving around us. We know we need to expose them. I just don't believe Mr. Stone's one of those. No, I believe he's I sincere and dedicated, whether he has associated with some people who might have done some things along the way? Probably has. Who hasn't, right? But whether he's responsible for that or could be held responsible in court, uh, absolutely not. I don't believe so. Whether they can taint him in the court of public opinion? Maybe. We'll see. That's really what this is all about. I still know a lot of people in California who thinks he's 
directly in contact with WikiLeaks and that he's literally being paid by the Russians to bring America to our knees so we'll you know, be under the rule of Russia or something, right? So I know people who've taken their little bits and pieces and created their own story that makes them look good, it makes conservatives look bad, yada, yada. So again, with uh, when people start filling in the blanks, it can get very scary and or hysterical here in California, the way people start filling in the blanks and making these stories about people. Yeah, it, it just it, it was it was really surreal to watch the you know the from the arrest all the way up to you know everything just sort of unfold over the over the last few days that you know everything uh, again I, I think Joe Big said it and maybe said it best that you know Rogers done some dirty shit but in a city of of shit you're going to get a little shit on you I, I think basically that was his you know and and it's understandable because you you have to fight fire with fire um but you know it's uh At the same it, time, he may be the only person i know who had never been arrested right he'd never been arrested he'd never had a parking ticket he had never had a traffic citation until right. two years ago so oh, yeah. for me he was the least criminal person i knew everyone i know has been arrested for something i mean everybody's had some problems along the way at some point once you get into he was the only one I knew who had never been arrested. Right. So for him to be, and he had never described himself as a dirty trickster. Self-proclaimed dirty trickster, he finally got that pulled out of the New York Times and an apology and stuff, but the, the legacy continues. So whether he considers his tricks to be dirty or not, yeah. he's just playing politics like everybody else. He's yeah. just better at it than most. He yeah. does what a thousand cons liberals do. He's bold, dynamic, funny. He doesn't mind cursing. He doesn't mind getting in there and throwing punches if they're being thrown. But we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to be dignified conservatives who will never lower ourselves to fighting with them, we'll never lower ourselves to being gritty and dirty and, 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 and getting involved in these things. They could have a thousand Bill Mars out there, but if we get one person on our side who's willing to go back and do the same thing, he is demonized like no other. I mean, he's kicked off Twitter before that was even fashionable. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Stone was kicked off Twitter for using a dirty word, right? <laughs> and yet I get, you know, you wouldn't believe what I get back thrown at me on Twitter and what I find on Twitter, right? So this double standard that Bill Maher can go and do anything and say anything, and yet every time somebody on our side gets crosses even the first little line, they're kicked off the field. That's that hypocrisy, and that's a double standard. If we're going to start throwing double standards around, if we're going to start keeping a standard, then fine, penalize Roger Stone, but you got to shut down about 90% of leftist media at the same time. The unpersoning of conservative America. It's, oh. uh, it's it continued. Um, Figured you? Gone. Absolutely. I mean, again, one by one, every day, it's figuring out who's still around on, on social media, and as we're down to the last three months now, it's really getting a... Uh, rubber hitting the road about what it means to have a free media, what it means to have this 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 public forum to communicate on. I think the dam broke with Laura Loomer. I think she's oh. going to go all the way, and Absolutely. and I think shit is going to catch on fire um, once she hits, uh, you know, when, when she hits DC. Uh, so uh, I can, uh, you know, like I said, I've got my popcorn ready for that. And that's I guess going to be the twenty twenty one. It can only get. 
All sorts of all sorts of potentials here in the next few years. Yeah, so we're holding on. The second second chapter is going to be much better than the first, as always. The second term is always a little bit more freedom, a little bit more leeway, and if we can just get through this hurdle, yeah, we've got a. Uh, I don't know if you know much about Nasara, Gasara. There are things going on in the background that seem to be monumental. That seem to be so much bigger. I mean, again, this right to try act all the the nafta and tpp being gone that's all great stuff but just behind that is perhaps a switching the federal reserve was taken out of the hands of those 12 people and put into the hands of the treasury department then my understanding is judy sheldon was sworn in as the head of the federal reserve about two weeks ago and she's one of the most radical economists in the world today she believes a whole heart 100 on gold and silver standards for our currency and the day she is sworn in as the head of the Federal Reserve, the United States government quit using the SWIFT system to monitor money and went to digital currencies. Digital, I forget the exact name of it, but it's a digital monitoring system, kind of like a blockchain. Mm -hmm. So we have a woman now heading the Federal Reserve who wants gold and silver currency monitored through a blockchain. Nice. Wow. Right, right, right. right. And with that, the, the larger picture of Gasara and Nasara is that there will be a, um, because there's been so much fraud in the past, because the banking system and the Federal Reserve were set up on kind of a false premise, that there has to be a, 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 a not a jubilee, a, um, a forgiveness, a yeah. forgiveness debt. Uh, 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 supposed to happen every seven years, but or we haven't like touched a, a couple hundred. But at this point, there may be a shift. Or <laughs> right. If we're going to reset, this, reset the books. Reset them all the way across the field. So it's a bit much to hope for. It's a bit much to even get my head around. But I've seen the early signs. Everyone told me for three years it meant nothing that Judy Shelton was in the White House every couple months. I got pictures of her in there. I started seeing her around. I'm like, it's got to mean something. And everyone's like, it means nothing. Now she's been sworn into the head Federal Reserve, and people still tell me it means nothing. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. For me, this seems like the biggest stuff in the world so far beyond what Ron Paul was talking about so far beyond what well, he's talking about an audit. Trump's already taken over, taken over, okay. changed the leadership and set him in a new direction. Right. And we're not even talking about it. We carried the Ron Paul revolution for eight years because he might audit the federal reserve. Now we've <laughs> re rebranded it and set it in a new direction. It, it doesn't even get brought up, but I think it will. I think in the years to come, those are going to be the things we're going to be talking about. Like, oh my gosh, it was in the two, you know, it was in this era yeah. that we reset the reset the playing field. It was definitely quiet. It was definitely quiet. Um, Crazy, right? I kept well, having to relook up the thing about the Federal Reserve a couple months ago because literally it was so hard to find a reference to it. I thought I was being fooled. I thought this was one of those things that's coming out of Russia or something, one of those kind of things. And yet it's there. It's just no one will talk about it. Right. Patrick, how do people get in touch with you? Um, how do they support you? Um, what's, what's the best way to do that? Uh, Dr. Mesmer, D-R-M-E-S-M-E-R -E -E on Twitter. Um, legalize for real. That's the number four. Legalize for real on Instagram. Patrick Moore on Twitter. Um, chha2020.com. That's the website for our ballot initiative that we're technically still in the running. It could end any day or we could, anything could happen with it, but the entire initiative's there with a lot of details about it. So it's as easy to change California to New York or Ohio or Chile or anywhere 
and have the perfect piece of legislation. It's been vetted over and over and over. You know, uh, it, it's the model to work on and the, and the build from. So anybody who's dealing with this anywhere in the world, we highly recommend at least taking our initiative and putting it into the dialogue, creating a, because if you start in the middle and then everything goes to one direction, you don't have a fair fair spectrum. People can say ours is too liberal, too libertarian, too free, but at least it gives you a context, right? So you end up somewhere in the middle. If you start in the middle and over here, you only can end up way over there somewhere and think you've made a compromise. So we're trying to give at least the context that here's what real freedom looks like, Here's what real fascism looks like. And somewhere in between, people are going to find something happy. But if we start at fascism or real fascism, it's all bad from there. And that's kind of where the DPA and these groups start to dialogue. Like it's only here or more conservative. So, right. yeah, it's, 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 those, that's, that's my outreach. Check in. Say hi. Appreciate everyone's help. Great, man. Thank you, sir. Fantastic. Loved it. It was, dude. It was. There's, and honestly, I've probably got about two more sheets of stuff that uh, that I could have covered. I just, you know, I didn't know that I had oh, yeah. your time there. But, uh, Another maybe, time. Yeah, maybe at some point we'll, we'll get you back on. Uh, I'll, I'll reach out to you. I'm not... I'm out right now, but as soon as I get some more in, I'll drop an email to you. Uh, uh, I'll let you try some of this pharmaceutical stuff. See what you think. Um, fantastic. And, uh, for Absolutely. One last thing before I let you go. I, I maybe should have done this before, but uh, one last thing. I, I, Leo uh, did it for me. Joe's done it for me. A few other info warriors out there. I'm, I'm, I, I have uh, Pattern Monkey Radio. And so we play um, what I feel are, are some of the best from all genres. Um, I'm working on working in some uh, Christian metal polka into the mix right now. So, <laughs> but uh, uh if, if I could, could I get a jingle from you? Just maybe uh, this is Patrick Moore from CHHA2020.com or however you want to do it. And I want my Powder Monkey Radio. Say it again. Powder Monkey. Powder Monkey Radio. Powder Monkey. This is Patrick Moore with the United States Cannabis Coalition. And we're asking for more Powder Monkey Radio. Keep you happy. Keep you aware. Thank you much. Thank you, sir, man. I greatly appreciate you, Patrick. You're a great um, patriot. Um, keep fighting the good fight. And uh, thanks for coming on the Powder Monkey Podcast. We'll uh, maybe hook back up here pretty soon. I look forward to it very much. It was a great talk. Thank you again. Awesome. Thanks, man. I greatly appreciate it. God bless.